welcome to Curious EMU, where we talk inspiring stories, ideas, and concepts to help you create a lifestyle true to yourself. Hi guys, welcome back. My name is Freddie Saliba. This is episode 36. Hope you guys had a good two weeks since, as I said at the end of my last episode, that I'll be releasing fortnightly now instead of weekly every Monday. So, hope you haven't missed my voice too much. In this episode, I have a lady who came from Sweden when she was 35 and she talks about all her incredible experiences and various things that she's done since she's come to Australia. Uh, It's quite a cool view as an expat living in Australia who's explored and experienced so much of it. So, have a listen to this really inspiring story. All right, let's get into it. So, moving from Sweden to Australia around 35, Maria Louise Corrin has had many unique and different adventures from riding around Australia in a motorbike with her husband, having cattle farm, she's become a psychologist, book writer. And I'm sure there's a lot more that we'll get into as we get through this interview. So welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Yeah, so I guess what what initiated the, the move from Sweden to Australia? I guess that's a nice place to start. I have an older sister who moved here when I was in my teenage years. She had some influence, but I don't know. I just always had a feeling for Australia People say to me, yeah, you, you always used to talk about Australia. So I cannot ex- ex- say exactly. But I will say that I was working in Sweden with my then husband, who is Japanese, and we had two children, and everything was like like picture perfect. They went to private schools. We both had jobs. Then, I, but I, this is important, I started to listen to people at my work, and they were talking about retirement, and they were going to retire, like, 30 years down the track or 20 or 10. And I thought, this is this is all that there is to life. I just could not see me anymore to just be peddling around like this, waiting to get old and retired. So I didn't think that my husband who came from Japan was going to be even accepting the thought of moving to another country again. But I still remember the day when I asked him, because I thought of this many times, there was a TV program in Sweden called The Lucky Country, which was about Australia, and it was about Melbourne. So I thought, I'm going to look at this with him, and then I'm going to pop the question, which I did. And strangely enough, to my surprise, he said, why not? (laughs) Also, I thought it would be good for our children to live in an English-speaking country, because, you know, that's the international language. So we then... Went through the whole immigration things, but because we both were professionals, we didn't have any problems. We got permanent residency straight away when we applied. People thought we were crazy. All our Swedish friends and my friends and my family and relatives, and they didn't want to talk to us. And they, well, it was really, really hard. I never forget the day we left. The people standing all around us, and they're crying, and I'm going like, what am I doing? <laughs> going on a one-way ticket, but that we did with our kids. And um, we made the decision that we were going to stay no matter what for at least three years. 
even if we didn't like it, because, you know, to adjust from one culture to another is very, very big step. So we did, and we never went back. <laughs> so that's what happened. But I will say the first year, just because it's interesting, maybe for some people who come from different countries, when you come to a new culture, I remember you get this comparison disease. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. You try to evaluate everything. Is this better, worse, <laughs> this way, that way, how it works? But slowly, slowly, we kind of adjusted into to the Australian society. And I started, I already had a degree in economics in Stockholm. I had worked with people, professions in Sweden for all the time. Anyway, I worked with people who were severely injured in a specialist type role there. So then I did another like major in Australia and then postgraduate and went on to become a psychologist. Also, I was employed in Australia and I remember 1994, I made a decision. And this is how you, when it comes to goals and things that you have to set your mind on what you want to do. I decided I was never, ever going to be employed again, ever. And I never have. <laughs> Since then, I've been self-employed. Run my own show and had my own practice and worked sometimes in universities on like casual so I could decide if I was coming or going. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, six, just turned 67 a few days ago and oh, I birthday. am working more than full time. <laughs> oh, wow. Still. Oh, amazing. Did you find that adjustment? I know you were saying the first year you're comparing, but did you find it difficult or your, the family find it difficult in the end? Yes. I remember waking up in the middle of the night once and thinking, my mom is on the other side of the world. What on earth am I doing here? Even though yes. I wasn't that close to her, but it's like, what am I doing here? And Yes. Also, I remember <laughs> opening Australian newspapers and I couldn't understand what I'm reading, even though it was good in English, because it talked about the crows and the this and the that. And it was AFL football because I was in Melbourne yeah, and they yeah. use a lot of slang. <laughs> and I'm going like, what? <laughs> what is this? So, it, of course, it took time. And also the way people communicate in the offices is different. Yeah, for uh, sure. I was shocked about how people were at that time were drinking in Australia and driving because Sweden is very totally strict. You don't do it. I came here and people are drunk as skunks and going in the car and doing this. And yeah, there were lots of things I went like, oh, boy, <laughs> this is different. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely. I, it's quite interesting, I think. People sometimes think it's solely like language-wise when you're going to a different country, but it's also a lot with the culture, like you were saying with the AFL, the Australian Football League, like me in Chile learning Spanish. Like people are like, oh, it's the Spanish. I was like, no, no, I understand the words completely, but I don't understand what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And now I've moved to New South Wales. And sometimes, I, because what, what what maybe people who don't live in Australia don't understand is how different the different states are in Australia. So, because they really are, the culture's different. Here it's rugby league. Yes. The laws are different. You know, it's different. Driving licenses, different rules, different this. And so Australia is actually five states in one in one shell i don't know how to say because i still feel a bit like victorian <laughs> so i feel yeah, like an yeah. outsider yeah, yeah so it's not just <laughs> australia it's just victoria to new south wales is also a step as well and you, like what you said particularly my work as a counselor that the value of a word the emotional strength of it and all of this is very important when in my work right 
but in the beginning, uh, it was a bit of a problem because I could say anything in English and it didn't matter because it, oh. I did not have the same depth of connection with the word that I did in Swedish. Wow. Now, I wouldn't say it's like that anymore, but it takes time to kind of, it's a fine-tuning kind of process that goes for years. Did you always want to do psychology? I know you've done a, a many different things, as I said in the intro, but did you pursue that immediately when you came to Australia or was that quite a few years later? Yes. No, I did immediately. I started to study within a few months. The truth is I already knew when I was at high school I should have become a psychologist because I was good with people. But my journey took me on a different, for many reasons, why I couldn't do it. It wasn't available when I was studying. And, and then I did, I still work with people. So it, I didn't really need it in Sweden because I got the specialist education through the insurance system with people who had been traumatized and injured. And then I worked with international adoptions. But then when I came here, I thought people is my is what I'm really good at. So then it just followed on from that. Oh, amazing. It's sounding like one of those things that you just knew you had to do and yeah. Even yeah. though things got in the, not got in the way, but as you said, took I guess took a different path. And Do, I will say with this because you you talk about passions. For financial reasons, I had to work full time, and so did my husband because we had bought bought house and everything here. Plus, we had two children who went and one, and one they went to private school all the time, uh, and so I had to do my studies on top of this. So was it a commitment? It was a super commitment. Yeah, I was. Sure. I remember going, driving home at night, crying in the car sometimes. I was so exhausted. And then in the weekends, I had to do essays, this, that. So it sure came at the price. Yeah, So sometimes definitely. if you want something, it's not going to come no, <laughs> just yeah. for nothing. You know that yourself, I'm sure. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, the, this year is my... Like last year, it was uh, figuring out what I maybe want to do. And now it's like, okay... Going to be working, got, I guess, as you were saying before, the goal setting and putting them in mind. Yes. And that's like, yes. now I've got to work, whatever it means, I have to work towards these things, you know. First, you sometimes have to figure out what that means, or what that is yes. that you are working yes. for. But uh, yeah, we get there. One thing I want to say that people should never think that they're too old. Because there is a lot of things I would never really have started. Like, for example, I took my motorcycle license and I was over 40. And I'm thinking, I was thinking, ah, oh, I'm probably told anyway. But then I thought, ah, oh, well, but I want to do it. So I did it. And then I rode a motorcycle for decades. Yeah. So you see, don't think that, you know, it's too late. No, it's never too late. Until we're dead, it's not too late. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 100%. Definitely get that one. I guess going to that the motorcycle thing, yeah, you mentioned that you you went around Australia on the motorcycle. I guess tell me a bit about that. How that where that come from? It came from the fact that I was living in Melbourne and I used to do seminars for psychology for chart traders. I was working with a company in Melbourne a bit who were into chart trading. So through that, I became friends with one of the technical analysis. Uh, was traveling Australia doing technical analysis and I sometimes traveled with him to do my kind of speed on it. Actually, I, I inspired him to get back into riding motorcycles. Then he moved to Sydney. Then he joined a Harley motorcycle group. He bought his first Harley. And then he called me up 
and asked me if I could ride one of his Harleys. He had two up to Queensland. And I thought, well, I've never been on a Harley in my life, but why not? <laughs> so I thought, all right. So I flew up to, this is in 2010. I flew up to Sydney and put me on this Harley in George Street in Sydney. And you know where that is? In rush hour traffic. That's middle of the city. Of okay. I'm not too much of a, I'm not a Sydney boy. <laughs> You're not a Sydney boy. Okay, that is a, a Mel- I'm a Melbourne person too. <laughs> oh, you're a Melbourne person too. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so I jumped on this soft tail, it's called, and it was rush hour traffic and I had to follow him through all of this, like the mad woman. And anyway, that was my introduction to Harleys. And so... <laughs> but you've been on motorcycles before that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I had Kawasaki's in Melbourne. So yeah, I knew how to ride motorcycles. And uh, you know what, when I started, there wasn't many women riding. It was very few then. Yeah. And I remember that. I was just, now there are many, but there weren't many then. And so it's changed quite quickly. But so then, anyway, so what happened was the next morning, we were going to join up with his club group. We were going to stand by the side of the road, and when they came, we just had to join, okay? And in this group is my now husband. Oh, wow. He was part of that group. So that's how we met. Then he came from Sydney, and I came from Melbourne. So we started to live on this laptop (laughs) with Skype, and then we thought, this is not going very well. So he came down to Melbourne for a while, and then we decided that we had to kind of move up this to Sydney because of his children and his deceased wife so that they wouldn't feel that they lost their mother and then they lost their dad as well. So, But then, before that, we were going to do the move, we decided this is our chance. So we sold our houses and took one his big Harley and bought the trailer and went off for five months around Australia. And uh, we went, we, and I, something I truly recommend everybody who lives in Australia, they should go around Australia once. You don't know Australia until you've done it. Oh, I'm so, I'm excited for when I get there, <laughs> when I get to that yeah. part, but yeah. Because it's so different. Northern Territory and Queensland is so different from South Australia. And no, and, and when you travel on a motorbike like we do, you're out in the elements. You feel the heat, the wind, the smells, all of that. So that was quite awesome. Plus, I have learned that dogs, who I also have, Dogs and motorcycles are very good social <laughs> ways for people. If people see you on a motorbike or with a dog, it's like a license that they can start to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need both of so them. <laughs> Put the dog yeah, on the motorcycle and then. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, we got to know a lot of people. This is important part in some ways that I have a strong faith in God, which it doesn't mean that we run to church all the time. That's not, but I, it's part of really the foundation of who I am. So when we traveled around Australia, what because I'm a Christian, when we came to a place like Catherine, for example, I Googled charismatic churches. <laughs> so we oh. find a little church, whatever church, and then because when you go into a church, they make you very welcome because you're from up there and everywhere. So then you got, got to know locals straight away, right? Wow. We stayed in Catherine, we came back. I came back and interviewed a man for two days in Catherine because he had such an extraordinary story. He's a guitarist over there. My husband and I got married 11 months after we met. So this man and his band came from Catherine down to Melbourne and played at our wedding. Wow. So that's how good friends we made with him. But in Catherine there, 
it was very interesting to kind of get to know the locals and because it was so hot we lived <laughs> lived in some cafes and sat there. But it was fantastic. We got to know so many people and this he's called the general because he was playing everywhere. We came where he was playing and we made fantastic connections. And then we went up to Darwin and same thing there. We stayed for three weeks. And uh, yeah, Darwin Darwin is a very very, very interesting city. Many people don't really know how good yeah. it is. Yeah. What, what do you like about it? It's very modern. It's like Melbourne. You, you you get very surprised. It has a lot of, they're very versatile. They had a lot of markets. It's beautiful, apart from that you can't swim in the sea. And it was just a nice city to be in. We had many places where they play good music and this and that. You could walk around, big botanical gardens. It was just, I don't know, it was just nice. Yeah, we went to the, you know, the museums and stuff as well and looked at the wildlife. And, of course, when you're there, you're not too far away from Kakadu and Litchfield. Yeah, so all of, we did all of that too, which is was amazing. Where would you say has been your favourite place in Australia? On the trip, one of the favourite places is a place called Exmount, which is high up at the top end. Mm-hmm. Because you could do enormous snorkeling there, just walking off the beach. Oh, amazing. Just walking off the beach, drifting down, going up, doing it again. Better than the Great Barrier Reef. Absolutely beautiful. Um, Love the hot springs in Catherine. Monkey Mia is another place where you can go out and look at pearl fishing and everything. Oh, amazing. Yeah, amazing, amazing. I will say two places that disappointed me a bit. (laughs) people will be surprised. Broome was one because I thought Broome or oh, everybody talks about Broome which has an incredible beach in Western Australia. I was like, I've heard a lot about Broome but I couldn't even no, tell you anything very... about where <laughs> what's no, there. But... <laughs> Broome and Bayron Bay which is another place that everybody who's be tired of their own life, they, they want to move to Bayron Bay and I think they have something similar. They're very touristy both of them. Very touristy places, not exactly. They didn't have that kind of that. I don't know what I expected. Some more genuine Australian feel about them. I felt it was just tourist meccas. But oh, something else happened when we travelled. We were going to build a house outside of Sydney in the area called Picton. So we had bought a big portable house, like in the caravan parks. And it was transported up there, you know, with the car in front and back and all of this. And we had a big 40-foot container where we had put lots of stuff. Plus, we had two storage units. And I also had a dog and, and a horse, but that's, I'll get to that. So we had this ready, and when we left, when we come to Mount Isa, there was only one neighbor there at the time. She calls me, and she says, I think your house has been stolen. And, and I laughed. I said, nah. I said, just go up and have a look. Sure enough, someone had taken, totally emptied the container, taken the whole house. And, what? And, <laughs> like vanished from planet Earth. There's not a trace left of it. And we went like, what? Because we had everything in there, passports, jewelry. Or, or, and we had eights and unpickable locks and everything. So it was quite incredible. But we thought, well, there's nothing left, so no point going back. Because we've got nothing to go back for. So what happened, we, we got friends to distribute like A4 pamphlets in their letterboxes to find out if someone had seen something. And 
months and months later, it led to Stephen Fox was a local plumber in a place called Warumbi, and he had he was part of a real syndicate, a crime syndicate, and they had taken it all. But we never got any stuff back, and we weren't insured. Uh, we got the damage in the house back, but uh, that's <laughs> but anyway. Because of this had happened, we were at the top end, and we thought, "What are we going to do now?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know what to do, so we thought we got no home to come home to. So we we actually started thinking maybe we should work up here. So we nearly ended up taking a job at the cat at the cat stage, <laughs> but we did it in the end because we didn't know what to do. We were totally a bit like, "Oh boy!" So then we just continued our journey, and and you know. And that's when we decided that, okay, my husband had had a catering business for 24 years in Sydney. I was a psychologist. We thought, okay, what can we do together? So we decided we were going to buy a B&B. And my husband, I call him Mr. Google because he lives with Mr. Google beside him all the time. <laughs> so, and so he then start. He's the research master. So he started to check out, you know, every B&B under the sun, down, like towards the Sydney area. So then we actually traveled down there, the West Coast. We thought, all right. So we started also staying in b just to do some research. and look at Yeah, that for one. sure. And yeah. then we found this, it was called Park Lodge and in Bandanoon in South, Southern Highlands, which is one hour south of Sydney. So there was a place advertised there. So we flew in and we had a look at it and decided to buy it. It was a random place and had been on the market for a few years. And then... Um, so where was that in the end? Did in you the Southern Highlands. Southern, Southern Highlands. Highlands, wow. Yes, yes. My kind of terms for us when, when we were going to get married was that we lived in the country so I could have my horse and my dog. Yeah. Okay, so, and he was fine with that. So just for non-Australians, where exactly is Southern Highlands? That's in... Southern Highlands is like, it's one hour south of Sydney, one and a half hour north of Canberra, it's a long highway, and it's a very in, incredibly beautiful area. Wow. Which is yeah. the climate, because it is 500 meters above sea level. Oh. And uh, Bandanoon was well known for Scottish games that they have in April. Hence the, the name. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's, and it's also very close to Morton National Park. Now... They have had fires, like we have had fires, but that's another story now. You would never have thought that then. Yeah, so we bought that place, but then it's another story. I love country music, and so does Graham. I've actually learned a lot about Australia from Australian country music, not American country music. There's a difference. The difference is that Australian country music is a lot about the land. It's a lot about Australia and the love of the land here. A lot. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. The lyrics. No, it's not like American country music is a lot about lost love and all of these things. It's, tot- it's totally actually different. So I have, I started to listen to it and then I started to... So when we traveled around, I made connection with a lot of places based on lyrics I've heard in country music. That's amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, places they sang about. So then we actually went up to Tamworth for a country music festival. This is 2011 in January. So they're quite known for the music festivals, aren't they, in Tamworth? Yeah, so we, we, they are in January every year. And, I mean, it's still Australia's biggest country music festival. And 
they had the, the Golden Guitar Awards and all of this stuff. Oh, wow. And the first year we were there, it was like my eyes popped up. I met all these stars and everything I've listened to for years. So that was quite fun. So after that, we, we flew down to Melbourne and got married three days later. And and uh, we kind of organized our wedding uh, on the way when we were driving on the motorcycle. And I bought a dress in Jeans West and he bought his suit and we sent it all to Melbourne. And, and that's you know, how we did it. So Nice, yeah. From there, we then traveled to Bandelun and took over this place that the next two years we kept. We had like, I don't know how many tradesmen we had working for us. We had a builder working for us for three quarters of a year full time. It was a huge project. It was very run down, but incredibly beautiful. Another side, I love interior design, always have. So I painted this house, I can send you some pictures, in this Swedish yellow with white trims and everything. And it just fitted in beautifully in the area there. Graham was building a website. He had never done anything like it. He was building a website as we were traveling. Oh, and cool. I start to organize the company, everything on the internet. You can do everything with the internet. So we, exactly, yeah. We moved in end of January and we started two months in April. We started to take guests, even though we kept renovating for a couple of years. We had five guest rooms and we went from being no business. For the last three years we were there, we were number one accommodation in the Southern Islands. And we were number 10 or 11 in New South Wales and I'm wow. in all of Australia. That's, that's incredible how, how popular it became. But that was hard, hard work. It was, we painted, we did, we decorated, entertained people, all of this. So, you know, and then I started to work as a psychologist as well from that lodge because people could come to the lodge. So that was quite easy. Another thing we did there is this. I will say that since I was born, I have loved horses. When I was little, I used to take cones, little cones, you know, and I used to put matchsticks and they were the legs of my horses. <laughs> little, ah, you know, little yeah, yeah. pine cones. So that's why I can remember from my earliest days. And then I, I started, then progressed to some, you know, play horses and then, I had a China horse that broke its leg that I used to glue back together all the time. And then when I was around eight or so, I, for the first time, I sat on a horse. My father was in the army. We moved around a lot. So I could never have a horse. They couldn't afford it. So, But I took some lessons here and there. And, but I had this absolute passion. As soon as I saw a horse, I had to do something about it. And so when my children grew up, as soon as they basically walked out the door, I walked into horse lands. And um, <laughs> said, and I, it was it's also an interesting story because the girl who served me, I said, I want to learn to ride horses. I need to buy, you know, the job person all this stuff and the helmet and all of this. And we started talking, and she said, you know what, my fiance is Swedish and he's a riding instructor. <laughs> so, so, so then, and he's now like a dear friend of mine. So. So I got both my riding outfit and found my instructor in one place. <laughs> so then I started riding horses. And in Swedish. Yes. That was quite, it was quite funny. And this is all happening in Melbourne. So you were a Melbourne boy, so I used to ride down in Cranbourne, if you know where Cranbourne is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, down that way. So anyway. And from there on, I bought my first horse. 
I've had a few horses since then. What sort of age was that in the end? Yeah, it was just a bit over 40 when I started. Oh, incredible. Okay? Like you were saying before, never too old. No. I'll tell you what. My husband, who had not ridden a horse, when we got married, I bought him a horse. <laughs> and he was 57 when he started riding. And it was quite fun because the horse used to take him where the horse wanted to go, and I'm laughing my head off. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on those horses. <laughs> but gradually it became that I saw how Graham started to take over, and how I saw this whole process how he and he and the horse used to try to outsmart smart each other all the time. But he became an incredibly good horse rider at 57. And we are both endurance riders. We do long-distance riding. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. So this is another thing. I was in Adelaide, and I was with a friend out in the forest riding one of her horses. And I meet this lady who comes marching down on a horse like a mad person. I said to Heather, what's she? Oh, she says, she's an endurance rider. And I said, what's that? Oh, they go for, you know, these long distances. And I thought, I like that. But the same thing, I thought like this, but I'm too old. But then I thought, no, I'm going to do it anyway. So that's what I did. So when we were in the Southern Highlands, we started training, training three times a week with our horses out in the state forest and going for long distances. And, and just we got fit, the horses got fit, and then we started to go into these events. The longest I've done, I've done a few 80 kilometers. 80 kilometers. 80 kilometers. Yeah, wow. it's, it's a long time. <laughs> and then you learn what the name endurance stands for because you're thinking, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How long would an 80 kilometer horse ride take? It, when I nearly flogged my horse too much, it took six and a half hours. I'll never do mm. that again. After next yeah. time I did it, it took eight and a half. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it, you, you do 40, come back for vet checks and stuff. Then you do a second leg, which is another loop, and then you come back. And um, wow. Yeah, I will never do longer than that if that's a long ride. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are people who do longer. And you still do the endurance yeah. rides? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the problem is where we have the best ride here, the whole mountain has burnt. Oh, in the, yeah. So it's gone. Our state forest where we ride is burnt. We still ride yeah. in it, but this is what's happened now. Speaking of, how are the fires going now over there? At the moment, you know what? Our farm was terrible and it's green again. But we have friends on the way from, we go from where we are in Lower New South Wales to Kew. It's 12 kilometers. Yesterday, there was a fire halfway here again so you, you it's still fire season you don't know yeah yeah exactly so at the moment it's, it's terrible i i cannot explain how i feel about it. you know i felt when it was as it at its worst you feel like you're in a war zone this feels like how that must have felt because it's like you feel helpless everybody it affects everybody in the whole community that when we had the fires right up here it's like you get a, a, a depression over everybody it's just like heavy and anxious people get anxious and um, you realize that we are not in control we think we're in control we're not in control at all if we want to if god or whatever you believe in want to finish this up either rain us to death or dry us 
bias we we done can you understand like we we have to take care of this earth otherwise it's just no not good it's uh, and things we bought this farm three and a half years ago and we thought we came to paradise we looked for two years and uh, it was green with grass up to our knees and we have a river around our farm on three sides and we thought like this is perfect you couldn't imagine in a lifetime that the river would stop flowing and it would look like a desert you you couldn't imagine it it's just impossible people who lived here for you know for three generations and four have never seen this so it is extraordinary this time do you think we'll get back to a bit more to what it has been or used to be or the chief meteorologist wrote an article he see, he thinks we have two more years at least of drought coming that's what he says um he said even if you got extraordinary big rainfalls for the next couple of years it would take at least two years to recover what we've already lost in the ta- water table and in the rivers and everything it will take a long time but is this the first time no there is something called the federation drought which was at the beginning of the century and that lasted for 8 years so this is it's not the first time so just hope for the best yes you learn to not take anything for granted and <laughs> be thankful no, for what you have exactly i should tell you a bit about dogs do you want to hear that german she- i have of course as you, you might be able to say it's my was my old German Shepherd on oh, my yeah, arm. Yes. So, yes. What, so what I'm a, a German Shepherd. It was a bit a more. Oh, so, so, so for people yeah. listening, uh, yeah, I got a tattoo of my old German Shepherd. He passed away, and then, like, suddenly, and then I start. That's when I started traveling. Yeah. So just a bit of a reminder of everything. So, yeah. What was his name? Uh, Max. His name? Max, Max. A, a rescue dog, my best buddy, favorite person in the world, person, <laughs> as he said. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, it, you, as you said, yeah, you got horses, born, dogs, and yeah. Parents, yeah, because I was born with my parents having German shepherds. So yeah, oh. they had a German shepherd that guarded me when I was little, and I always felt felt safe because she was always there. You know, I just no. So, I, so you get this connection with them from the beginning. So I've had a few German shepherds through my life, and I bought one when we moved to Australia. That was very good. So when I was at work, I knew the German shepherd was there with my children, with the teenagers. And then when I separated and got divorced in 2000, I bought a German shepherd puppy. So I thought I needed that one. So I had my horse. They're the best puppies in the world. My German Shepherd. And she was just amazing. Her name was Zoe. And um, I had her when I met Graham. So she came as part of the package. And um, so she lived in Mandanoon with us and that until she was 10 and a half. Her hips gave way, as you know, they do. But after she passed, I felt, you can probably know, I felt guilty to get another one. I felt like it was nearly going to betray her. Because she was so beautiful. She, I can look at her as we're talking. I have pictures of her here on both sides of my wall. <laughs> so then we, my husband had two small dogs that, you know, a Maltese and a Maltese Shih Tzu. So they came as part of the package too. Very different types of dogs. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, dog Molly, she's lying here at my feet right now sleeping. She's the Maltese. And I, to be honest, I never thought I could like small dogs, but I do love these ones anyway. And then when yeah, we I hear, moved I, I hear what you farm, mean. yeah, 
I'll tell you what we did. Zoe was a motorcycle German Shepherd. I told her oh. to sit on a motorcycle in a box at the back. So she used to ride motorcycle with goggles and everything on her. And she loved motorcycle riding. Oh, more my than God. Else. Yes. So then when she got older, she couldn't be on the motorcycle. But Graham used to take her in the trailer of, his, of the lawnmower. So she thought she was like, oh, you know. But when she died, we had a cremated. And when we moved to the farm, we took the box. My husband rode her up. I'm nearly going to stop crying. We rode her up to the farm in their box on cremated. So she came up with us to the farm and we buried her here. Oh, incredible. So she yeah. came with us. So I planted the roses over her and uh, because she would have loved it here. So you know, yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, but then I thought like this, that actually I did, I am a registered breeder as well. So I did breed on her once in Melbourne just to have the experience. And then I thought, okay, I am a breeder. So then I registered here in New South Wales. And I thought, all right, let's breed with German Shepherds because I love them. So then I started hunting for, we found really good pedigree, one a bitch girl, then little puppy in Goulburn, and then a pure black. I'm going to send you some pictures, a pure black from Queensland because I always wanted a pure black. And he's got ancestry from Sweden. It's incredible. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. So then we got these puppies and uh, lots of work and they're eating up all our furnitures and everything we own. And uh, now, and then when they were about, they are three years now, they're about two years of age. We did the hip and elbow x-ray and everything is perfect, set to go, all papers, everything is good. And then she won't have a bar of him. <laughs> she doesn't like him. <laughs> that was, so now they're both dissexed. So that was what happened with that. <laughs> I, I don't know if she thinks it's, she's her brother or something, but that didn't work. But so now we, they just, they just, just our family members. <laughs> yeah, but I love German Shepherd. They are beautiful. So it's just, they come with us all the time. There's something about German Shepherd. Like I love all dogs, but. Yes. I don't know. There's something about German Shepherds. Yeah, we've had a few over the over the years, but yeah. They're very loyal. And they're, they're definitely a lot of work sometimes, you know. Yes. They need exercise. The biggest hearts. Yeah, exercise. Yeah, I think and being on a farm would help a little bit with that, but obviously getting them out and, you know, <laughs> the training as well. Amazing. Yeah, so my husband comes from a dairy farm in New Zealand. He's a New Zealander, actually. Okay. And so that's why he had this... He got this dream in when we were in Bandanoon that he wanted to have a farm. <laughs> so then he started looking and I said, all right. So now we own the farm so he can live his dream, which is to have cattle. <laughs> and you're still in New South Wales? Yes, we are. We are about between four and five hours north of Sydney. We are Port Macquarie, if you've heard of Port Macquarie. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard of it, but I couldn't point to it anywhere on the map. <laughs> it's like, I know I know the name, and I know it's, I know, I know. Outside. it's one of the, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I know. Port Macquarie, it's a, it's a popular tourist destination, right? And we are half an hour south of it in a place called Lawn, which is not Lawn, Victoria, which people confuse them about. A very beautiful, beautiful area undulated country it's incredibly beautiful so um i'm here and when we moved here 
this is another thing when you move when you move from one place to another, and particularly when you're not 20 any longer, it's it takes you know making connection gets harder with age unless you really make an effort. But um, because I started to work as a psychologist here, I worked from two different medical practices and then you know one more place. Yeah, you know what I said that because the school he became a school bus driver here. And he's, he, my husband is very, very industrial, so he he started to take his bus driving license. So he, so when we came here, he could drive a bus. So then it was easy for him to get a job. Anyway, now what I was now what I was saying is that when you move to a new area, when you are any any age, but particularly when you get older, it's hard sometimes to you know find new friends because you do make a lot of friends when you're younger and with your kids and everything. So. But because I started working to medical clinics and my husband went into as to school bus driving, which is the normal buses they take normal passengers to, we very quickly got connected into the community. So we know people everywhere when we go out. It's incredible. And that's important because, you know, it's not easy to move again and again. And on that note, my sister, I have a sister who got pancreatic cancer. And so I felt, I mean, even though they have successfully operator on her, so she's good now. I had to go back to Sweden in the middle of this year. And this is about cultures, because many times I felt like, what am I doing in the middle of North Coast of Australia? Like I felt like I don't belong sometimes, even though I work here and everything. But then I went home to Stockholm. And once I was in Stockholm, I just felt like a glove. Can you understand? Like everything fit in. I was home, my culture, my jokes, my everything, and all the streets, and all the subway stations, and all everything. So it was actually really good for my sense of belonging and identity to go for that visit. And I'm happy to come back, but I kind of needed that. You can relate to that too. So when you come back home to Australia, you come home to your food and your people and your whatever. You know, yeah, so, I can so speak like me culture. properly. Yeah, that's exactly right. Proper Australian, yeah. not have to, you yeah, know. not have to explain yourself, and everybody knows where you're coming from. One thing I've learned over this lifespan, also because I was married to a Japanese person, that the culture, how important culture is and your concept and how you think and how you relate and your jokes and everything. In regards to work and like the psychology, was it quite difficult because you were doing a little bit over the years? Was it really just kind of starting again each time you moved? or In Melbourne, because I was in Melbourne for a long time, I had a big network there, both from university and otherwise. I joined something called Business Network International. In Melbourne, I used to do a bit of work with companies. Uh, I did the share trading, teaching people about psychology of that. I used to run seminars, you know, for companies sometimes, and business coaching for small companies and counseling. But when I came up here, I decided my life is going to be easy. I'm going to do counselling, that's it. So I kind of decided I'm doing that and lucky that because there's so much mental health need in the society today, so you just get overwhelmed with the need to be met. So from now till I retire, I'm going to do counselling and that's it. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's enough. (laughs) You know, 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 I wrote two books. I don't know if you can can see. Oh, cool, yeah. Goal Mastery, Your Step-by-Step Guide to Achieve Your Dreams. And the other one is called The Garden of Your Mind. And basically why I wrote them is because 
I work with people and help them to solve their crises and problems. But I've found that a lot of people, they lack purpose. They don't understand how to move forward in some direction. So that's why I wrote these books. The first, the little one, is about to teach people how to think right about their lives and everything and not to sabotage themselves with negative patterns and stuff. And it's an easy one, so all ages can relate to it. And many people aren't so good readers either. So that, so I use that one a lot, and I use it to get quicker results. The other one is also, I mean, basically, my message is this. This is you. Do everything you can to become who you are. Don't try to copy others. Be yourself. Use small steps. Every step counts. Do it. You know, and then it talks about all of these things and how your brain works a bit. And it's a very practical book. And then, and, and I've sold hundreds and hundreds of books. People like Incredible. them. I had lots of yeah. good feedback. On, but I, I did self-publish them. I, I'm a bit of a, like, so I have control of them. I said, I just Perfect. use them. It's for my, my work tools, you know. They have worked. So that's, you know, so I use them. And... That's, they sound amazing. <laughs> right down my alley. Where can you find the books if people are listening? Is my website. Just website? I have a website called They'll definitely have to have a look into them. They sound incredible. Another time we can delve more into them a little yeah, bit yeah, and talk yeah. about yes. it. Yes, yes. I can, I can talk a bit about the farm if you want to. Yeah, no, no, we came up here and we then we bought a herd of pygmy cows. Oh, yeah, the cow. Oh, I'm excited. Cows and calves, right. And then we had, we actually had four horses. Uh, so we had the we had two horses, bought two more horses. But the process of living on a farm, if we're going to be, because a lot of people, we have an Airbnb here, all right? So we have, so people come here and we're happy to have it. We don't use it all the time. Because it gives people a farming, ex- working farm experience who will never go on a farm. And particularly we get people from other countries and it's, you know, their kids that are isolated up and they, it's so exciting for them. And we have something called the Polaris, which is like a farm deck and so we can take people around and show them everything. But living on a farm, you start to understand a lot of things a lot closer with nature. It's like you feel like you are much closer to the cycle of life, of, ni- of nature and with animals. And you also start to kind of learn a lot about the animals, like cattle and that. There is a lot more, more to animals than people ever, ever realize. And you have to kind of look at them and study them to see what's going on and how clever they are and how much more they understand than we realize. And now with the fires, we have a lot of wild birds and other animals and our green frogs and our lizards. And we feed them all. Can understand? We just put it out. But, it's, it, but what I found is that the more you're on the farm and you're here, the less you need to go to shops and things and that. It's like you don't need it. I cannot explain it. It's just different lifestyle, but it's a much more fulfilling lifestyle. But what I think people need to know is that unless you like hard work, <laughs> don't even think about it. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Getting a farm <laughs> is work from six o'clock in the morning till you go to bed. Because you're responsible for all these animals' lives and for the ground and for fertilizing and for weed control and for slashing and for... It's never, ever ending. And I, I'm married to a work machine, thank God. Otherwise, <laughs> he's not because he's on the tractor or he's on this thing and fencing and doing and this. And it's like, 
So people sometimes have an idealistic view. They think it's so romantic. Well, it's fantastic, but it's not romantic. Yeah, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah for sure. What sort of animals do you have at the moment? Uh, we have, it's called, we have Angusis, which is the black cows, but we're breeding something called Speckle Park, which is a kind of a newish breed in Australia, which is a mix with Angus and some others, and they are very nice cattle, and because we don't have a big herd, we know every animal, and they're quite tame and all of this. So my husband is breeding, we've got two registered bulls, and he's doing a breeding program, and then they go, they go either to the sale yards to go on to other properties, or they go to the slaughterhouse and become meat on our plates. And uh, yes, so that's what it is. But we had booked in 19 of them for slaughter this month because of the drought, because it cost us a fortune to feed them at the moment. But because we have had some rain, we, it's, we reduced the number to seven to slaughter. <laughs> so we just hope. But anyway, we honestly, if the drought had just continued like it was, all farming here would be gone. You cannot continue. That's how serious it is. So either we have to get more rain or the whole area's farming will die. We can't keep going there. So that's, it's been, it's been quite serious. You have animals standing there looking at you and my husband had to go and you have to buy in tons of grain and things and other things and, and as what happens, unfortunately, people take the opportunity and charge dream prices for hay and stuff. So people can't manage it. That's no, why. no. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we've got some rain, so we're hoping for the best. So then, and then we have four horses. Um, do you know anything about horses? No. Uh, a little bit. My my uncle and aunt have. Well, they breed racehorses and yeah, so, so thoroughbreds and stuff. So I know a little bit, uh, you know, just from being around them. But no, because we, it's a fun, we have a funny mix. We have uh, an Arab stockhorse mix from both in Southern Highlands, who is very nice. And then we have my horse, who is a warm blood thoroughbred, who I bought from Queensland. And we're still in contact with the owners I bought him from six years ago. And then we have a standard bred, who was an ex Totter is grey, and then we have an Arab. So we have four different <laughs> breeds of horses. And we all take them out and ride them in the forest and train them for the long distance. But honestly, because of the fires, I don't think there will be much endurance coming up this season because it's burnt everywhere. But one thing is amazing with Australian nature, it recovers. You know that they, the stems can be burnt on trees and they still come back. Yeah, so we're going to go out tomorrow to the state forest, but I'm sure there will be green shoots on the burnt trees already. So that is, wow. you know, it will recover eventually. Wildlife will take a long time. Unfortunately, yeah. I think that, you know, the media sensationalize everything. So Australia is a continent, so not the whole country has burnt up. I think sometimes people think that all oh, the country is gone, but it's not, of course not. We went to Chamworth, we went up one way, the whole month it was burnt, it was terribly depressing. Coming back another way, it's green and lush and rainforest and no 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 fires have been done. So it's you've got it all. Going back to the country songs, always been talking about like the sunburnt country, like Yes. Unfortunately it is in our history with bushfires, it it's just so much so much worse than it has been, but write down her name. Her name is Beck Hans. She's a country music singer from Victoria, and 
she's an incredible songwriter. And in this draft, she wrote one song, Just Add Water, which is she, she's written many years ago, I think. But I that song has sang, been in my head because she exactly has described the situation. I'm thinking that's exactly what can happen. There are other things to they they write about it and and I'm thinking that's exactly how it is. Just add water, everything perfect. Just add the water. She says the breeders have already gone to slaughter and that she sings all of that in the song. And so many times I thought that's exactly how where we are now. That's how what we're living. Wow. And I thought, yeah. So have have a listen. Yeah, I, I'm sure you can find her on YouTube or somewhere. It's just absolutely. I wanted to also ask you about some of the country songs that the Australian country songs you'd recommend for people. John Williamson, of course, if you you know he's such a well-known person, but he also is a very descriptive songwriter mm-hmm. uh, about about Australia. Oh, there are many. They, yeah. They just yeah. <laughs> there, there are so well, many, some, but they are probably the iconic. He's an iconic one. But if you wanted to feel Australian culture. Tamworth is a good place to go for families as well because it's a kind scene, if that makes sense. You know, positive and kind. It's not dark and negative. It's actually very supportive. I know from other years when they had problems with floods and this, that they really get around back together in the community and help each other. So it's a good, a good scene from that perspective. Yeah. Perfect. I guess we'll probably wrap it up at around here. Yes. If someone wants to get in contact with you or anything, where can they? Is that more the website? Website, and I have, yeah, I have. That was adva- yeah, advanced directions. Directions. Advancedirections.com. Perfect. I, I'm still in the process of setting up. Lawn Valley Farm is our farm. Oh, perfect. Lawn Valley Farm. I, I, sh- I should set up like a business page. Or what you know, an official page on Facebook to link to my page, which maybe should happen. Um, yeah, that, that's basically the easiest. Do you want to have an email or something? Easy. Okay. Well, thank that's you good. very much. An amazing session. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Don't forget to check out my Facebook and Instagram, Curious Emu giving updates, photos on my journey, experience and all the latest news as well as some new projects that will be coming out soon. So keep an eye out. Otherwise, I'll see you in a few weeks. Remember guys, stay curious.